Welcome back, everyone, to Arsenal Pass Time of the Round, episode 23. Today, we're joined by Stephen Woolley. Stephen is the marketing director at Team Covenant, as well as being a mediocre flesh and blood player in his free time. All jokes, of course, I consider Stephen to be one of the most genuine human beings I've ever met, as well as a true renaissance man of our time. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us, and how are that's, you doing? That's an, uh, just a, that's an amazing thing to say. That's like, I, I, I'm so appreciative of that. Um, Started off by yeah, saying yeah. You know, you're a mediocre <laughs> flesh and blood player. I feel like it pretty much defines our relationship. Uh, <laughs> Love and uh, and complete trash talking, basically twenty four seven. Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. I just just got done streaming, uh, playing Flesh and Blood here at this very table. So I feel like I'm ready to discuss whatever it is you guys have for me, uh, particularly if it involves Lightning Briar and Ice Lexi, which we just mm. played. I was gonna say, what's uh, what's getting you excited this to, to, like these days? What's get you riled up? You know, you, you know what gets me riled up, mm. like the romance of Playing things that are uh, interesting and unexpected always gets me riled up. And on that note, like last week, Zach was bringing that Earthbriar list, right? And he was like, and I played the Earthbriar list a bunch. And I was like, this is impossible for me to beat. Because I'm, I'm playing like, I'm on Bolton, right? Bolton. And I was bad when I played you uh, last time we played Britain. It was, I, I did that not that know what I was doing. was just like a persistent state. <laughs> yeah, well, I found my way out of it, at least temporarily, uh, with this Bolton deck. And um, I played against Earthbriar, and I was like, this is not going to go well. And I was really, I was really at the start of the stream, I was like, okay, just getting the audience ready for how bad this is going to be. And then I won two out of three mm. against Zach playing Earthbriar with Bolton. Like, like one of them wasn't even close. So that's what's got me excited. I think I'm unstoppable with Bolton. In fact, I was telling Zach, I've only lost, I think, two matches with Bolton after, uh, after you came down. Oh, yeah, only two. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering. So, uh, you must be you must be a big fan of this Lightning Briar list, though. <clears throat> you know, I have a lot to say about Lightning Briar. Actually, I'd like to talk about. Do you want to talk about Lightning Briar? Let's do it. Shoot. Let's do it. Rip it. Yeah. So you got you guys have played Lightning Briar. I, speaking of romance, um, this deck has no romance whatsoever. It's the exact kind of deck uh, that the kind of player that I am is is just wanting to beat with weird stuff. Because I just want to like subvert expectations. Um, so, Lightning Briar is about the most linear thing I've seen in Flesh and Blood so far. Uh, it it's not anything fancy, and I think one of the one of the complications or the the frustrations with the deck is that if you look at it as a Flesh and Blood player, you've been playing for a couple of years, you've seen aggro decks before, right? You know how Katsu. Mm -hmm. If you don't block that surging, like these things are going to happen. You've seen these things come about. We've been through the chain meta where, like, you know, there's some vulnerability a little bit up front, and then it kind of has that inevitability at the end. And that's kind of at least interesting, right? Where it's like, maybe if I land that red in the ledger at the right time and they're on five shackles, they'll take the blood dead and and we can get in the game. Uh, or if, you know, if I if they catch the wrong cards off of their banishes, like there's some there's some ends there to kind of take that apart. And then with Lightning Bright, it's just basically like all of the aggro decks you've already seen, but uh, more effective and yet somehow more boring to yes. play against. It's like an aggro deck on like D-Ball, like just straight steroid it up. <laughs> Got and an extra card because it doesn't pitch. Yeah, it's just it's just playing... Uh, well, as far as I can tell, it's, it's every zero-cost card that can attack and have go again. All the plunder runs... Um, 
and then a few Briar cards, like the Ball Lightnings, you know, and those kinds of things. So I think it leaves players in a place where it's like, <clears throat> and we've seen this in metas before. We talked about this at the end of the stream. In like other games, in many different card games that we've seen all throughout our, our history doing this, there's a certain uh, simmering dislike, it's in Magic as well, I'm sure, for the like very effective, um, seemingly easy to pilot deck. Like it, it seems like it shouldn't be the case that a complex deck uh, has a has a hard time beating a more simple to play deck, uh, and so I'm not surprised that we would see over the next couple of months a lot of hand wringing about whether or not we should ban Briar cards or like ah this is bad for the game and those kinds of things. Um, but I do think this is a pretty common thing. I think it's normal, um, seen it a million times, and I think that there are many answers uh, out there. It just takes a while for for more complex decks to figure out their their plans and their strategy because. As we said, they're a little more complex, so there's a lot more to balance and to manage to try to try to come on the other side of that Lightning Briar matchup. Do you guys think that it's it's too good? Definitely not. I think that it's a fantastic deck. I think it's great, and I think that it's uh, very popular and it converts very well. That being said, I mean, there's a lot of things that exist uh, that are not. It doesn't have a great game into right, like the Viscerai deck, legitimately very hard. Right, that combo Viscera deck, and I'm not even sure if that deck, the list that Matt played, is fully tuned yet. It's extremely hard mm -hmm. for the Lightning Briar deck. There's Oldham, like I would look at Michael's list from the Calling. He won the Calling with it, so he beat a lot of Briars with it, and we've played it in our testing group as well. Very good list, very tough. <laughs> um, and then, of course, is Isolexi. So Isolexi is like your, your like, legitimately like your straight counter, but Isolexi suffers from some consistency issues sometimes, which can allow Lightning Briar to win that match. And then, of course, there's all the decks that we haven't discovered either, but there's three right there. And I think the Viscerai deck kind of at the top, right? If you're looking for a deck that, you know, you can be competitive with, and I'm extremely competitive with, by the way, um, and you can beat up on Lightning Briar, like, Viscerai is probably where you want to be. And if Runeblade's not your thing, you're a little sick of Runeblades, then, I mean, Oldham is looking great right now. Um, especially the list that Michael won with. It's a good list, and I'm sure that he's made a few changes since then. But a lot of stuff... Like, Light Lightning Bar's game plan is so, is so linear that, I mean, it's pretty easy to develop a game plan to attack it. We've seen, we've seen game plans like this before. Right? If we look back at Chain, very linear game plan to an extent, um, outside of Fatigue. The difference was in chain, you couldn't attack it. Like there was nothing that actually really attacked it, right? There was like snag, but it didn't really matter. In Lightning Briar, there's an entire section of cards, like ice cards, that will attack it. And then there's alternate playstyles, like this Viscerai combo deck, or just heavy disruption, which I haven't explored too much yet. Um, but all of which are bad for Lightning Briar. I think that there's a lot of exploration to be done. We saw Canadian Nationals, Ice Lexi won that. And then, like I said, Oldham won the calling. There's tons of options out there. So yeah, it sounds like what you're saying is Tarek is wrong. <laughs> uh, so can you elaborate on that? <clears throat> well, that's putting me on the spot because Tarek is definitely a good friend of mine. And I do love his deck, and I do love the way that it was discovered. I think it's an important deck for, uh, for Flesh and Blood. So while I get my political answer here, I do want to give the deck some praise, right? So we talk about romance. So there is, for me, there's a bit of romance in this deck in the sense that we had aggro decks in Flesh and Blood, but we didn't really have red deck wins, you know, for anybody familiar with the magic. 
this deck to me encompasses red deck wins, right? Like it is the ultimate aggro deck. It is the ultimate proactive, linear, um, kind of straightforward plan that can just dunk on most things if you're not prepared for it. So I'm happy that it's finally kind of been discovered, right? Because I think that it, this cements like a sort of red deck win red deck wins archetype in flesh and blood. I think that's really cool. So do I think that Tarek is wrong? So I it depends what his actual thoughts are. His thoughts are that um are that Briar needs to be banned or rotted. I would disagree. Yes. I d I right. don't think that, that uh that's like a very popular um opinion in the community right now. So I'll go ahead and kind of attack that or talk to that directly and say that I definitely disagree that Briar needs an errata. Um, it's a good hero. It's an extremely strong hero. The hero ability is very good um, as well, but I do not think that it needs a ban. Um, the next thing is the errata, right, which I kind of spoke about to there. It's just like, okay, maybe we make it so that, you know, these embodiment of Earth and embodiment of lightnings only trigger off, you know, elemental cards, make it more thematic. Yeah. So... I mean, that's really, yeah, that makes sense. Like, but it's really simple. It's a simple idea. And I would assume that the devs probably thought of this as well. And they might have even actually had Briar initially designed like that and then changed it to buffer because it wasn't good enough. But regardless of that, I still don't think that she needs that errata. I don't think that it's that oppressive. You're going to see an overrepresentation of this deck. <clears throat> I'm not denying that's good, but it's going to be overrepresented because it's cheap. It's Easy to understand and play to like the 80 to the 80 percent, right? The Pareto is really easy um, to get to 80 percent proficiency with it, and yeah, I mean it's the, like there's a lot of benefits to playing a deck like that in a tournament, right? Like you have shorter rounds, um, and generally you're gonna run over most of your opponents that don't if they haven't had time to kind of react, right? If you're talking about something like nationals where people couldn't have had time to test into it, really, you can sometimes just run over your opponents that just don't know what's going on. So I think yeah. there was an overrepresentation of this deck for kind of a few reasons outside of just its power level. Yeah. See, I thought Earthbriar was going to do that, honestly. After I saw those Mount Heroic turns and whatnot, and I was like, man, this is going to catch some people by surprise. And Zach tanked with it. Um, so does essentially. Do you know the story yeah. behind Zach Tanks with it, Stephen? Why? Yeah. I have some ideas. So it's actually my fault. Um, so I, I, <laughs> oh, I it was it, the wrong ratios. Yeah, so what we did is he... was a genius there. Yeah, I was a genius. Well, he worked with me. But he came over, and I was playing Lightning Rare. I said, Zach, convince me. So he beat me a few times, showing me that we could maybe flip the mirror. I was like, okay, I'm convinced. So we had to submit a deck list. So we get on the old Excel sheet. We're writing up the sideboard guides. And then we have, like, really nice functions to show all the math. And we just got really, really mathy with it, for lack of a better word. Yeah, and it looked yeah. great on paper, and it was just late, so we didn't have time to really test it. And the deck functioned like poo-poo on the day of. It was terrible. So Take that, math. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Stephen. I was going uh, yeah. to ask you, do, do you want to hear my opinion on, uh, on Lightning Briar? Because I, I disagree with some of the things that Brendan just said. I don't know if you... I would love nothing more than to hear... You know what, Hayden, you strike me as a romantic as well. <laughs> I can be from time to time. I just feel would like you say, would you say that that you're a romantic person? You know, I don't mean like romantic, like you're you know you're bringing people flowers and stuff, but you know, there's romance that there's more yeah. to it than just uh, playing zero for four attacks. I like to romanticize ideas for sure, and I think when the game when it comes to the, I mean, I'm I'm a big I'm a big Reinhardt fan at the end of the day, right? Like you know, right on. I want to play that thematic. I want a brute nation, you know. Um, <laughs> but but. You know, if, as Stephen was going to say, I feel like we flipped the script and I feel like Stephen's hosting us today, Brennan. 
that I want to jump in. First of all, Brendan, I kind of disagree about chain. Just, uh, just you know, I don't think it's. I don't think chain was linear. But anyway, that's a that's yeah, an aside. No, I just I just <laughs> wanted to give the people something to empathize with. I would also disagree with myself that it was linear. So you lied. But uh, you know, you know, I gotta make it more palatable when I say that lighting prior is okay. So I gotta talk about something that wasn't okay. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll avoid that one. I'll just talk about. I'll leave that one as is. But I'll talk about lightning prior and. You talked about like the the deck and how efficient it is right and like this you know it's easy to play it's like accessible and you can play it at 80 percent pretty pretty well right my like counter argument to i guess the strength of of briar would be a few things like in terms of just where it's sitting right now i think if you can play that deck at like 90 95 percent you are like significantly ahead because and there's a couple of things for this and i don't think it's i don't think it's detrimental but um the deck is really well tuned uh the deck is very linear it's very the cards are interchangeable so you know it's really hard for you to like brick turns or to you know um steven before we jumped on you're talking about uh ice Lexian saying you know i just i just draw a hand with no no arrows you don't you don't really get those hands with the deck like lightning briar right because the the cards are so interchangeable you can you can draw you can draw four non-attack actions right but if you've just made two mm -hmm. embodiments the turn before those cards defend for four or uh you know taking one turn off with a deck that has five card efficiencies and gets to outvalue your opponent by one card every turn is that's not the end of the world right um, whereas, you know, for maybe the Ice Lixie deck, if you take a turn off, you're probably going to get hit for like 20 damage uh, if you're playing into the Briar matchup or, you know, maybe it's a bit excessive, but somewhere around there, right? Um, and I, I thought you raised a good point, Steve, as well. You talked about like there's demon decks like this and other card games and, and magic and, and people, there's a discourse around this kind of thing. Um, and I really compare it to like a red deck wins in, in magic, right? Which is like the start of a format. It's like one of the best ways to attack a format is like the super low to the ground aggressive deck because people's decks aren't tuned. Uh, people don't, you know, haven't discovered certain things yet. Uh, the meta is really new, right? It's really, it's really raw. And I think we get a bit of a, maybe that might happen, say, in a game like Magic that's, you know, been around for a while. You've got online data, you've got online events. You might have that for like two weeks, maybe. And even now you get that for like a weekend max because of, because of the online programs they have. But in Flesh and Blood, like, you know, it's so young. The player base is so, so much smaller. It's, uh, there's less information traveling around. I think that kind of time period that you get of like maybe two weeks in other games, you get that for like, months or if not majority of the format still at this point and i think that's why we're seeing something like a, a lightning bright i don't inherently think that it's like unbeatable or i do agree with brenda in that in that regard but i think the reason that we're seeing it uh, over maybe overperform more or do well for longer than maybe it would if it was a, a sort of a, a function or a, an archetype in a different game is, is is that is like this idea that we just we just maybe don't have the right information but i will caveat that by saying that i think when this deck is played at like 90 95 percent the deck is uh is very very good and I'll just leave that by saying that I think Plunder Run is uh, is a very card. Yeah. yeah, that that would have been my my kind of transition is that like if people really want to pull their pitchforks and they want they there has to be blood, then I mean forget about Briar. Let's look at Plunder Run because Plunder Run is a continuous offender in the format. It's generic as well. Yes. Yeah, I know that's the case because Zach's been running it literally since day zero of our Flesh and Blood experience he was like i don't know anything else but i know that this card is obviously great and it turns out he was right i fought him on it a bunch but no he's right <laughs> well it's just a, a bummer i just, hate that it's just a card right that says it replaces itself effectively but also it replaces itself in in whatever attack possible on a chain right it's not like it's not one up front on hit trigger it makes your turn potentially threaten like an on hit trigger for the whole turn which is really can be oppressive and then also adds to breakpoints, right whether it's one whether it's plus two whether yeah. it's plus three adds to breakpoints plus adds that three two one damage so just the the amount that the card brings and spread across it's like a, you know you just you slap your piece of toast down you spread that butter across plunder run really gets to the to the corners you know 
Well, yeah, and I see it a lot, obviously, <laughs> with him being a Ruin Blade player, um, just because it's also solving one of the conditionals of that class. Like, that entire class is revolving around non-attack actions. So, like, you're getting what is obviously designed to be a fairly um, laborious or, like, difficult thing to do consistently. Like, you're able to hit that non-attack, replace it, and still get extra damage. Um, that's where it really sings, and we see it being really good in those kinds of decks, right? It's really yeah. good in all the Roomly decks. So, fair oh. enough. I like they, that they I figured just it out. sit those up for you and you just knock that down with the uh, the final yeah. day talking about uh, how why, why it's good in room play. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Hey, you know, we've been doing this for a little while, so you set up those dominoes, man. I'll hit them every time. Yeah. So I think if there if there must be blood, we can we can talk about Under. Blood to run. But right. um Steven, you're a famous famous Azalea player. Can you talk mm. to me about can you talk to me about what drew you to that hero? And then I want to I want to add on to this question with part two. Are you in? You played a lot of card games, obviously. So, in other games, are you that player as well? I think that there's like this. Uh, what do they call it? There's like the Spike, the Jimmy, and the the Timmy the or Johnny, something. The Johnny. The Johnny. Yeah, and you're the Johnny, right? Like you like to play the kind of underdog, right? You like to yeah to find something new off meta. Yeah, that, I think the romance comes into it there. I, I've been thinking about that term a lot in my in my life recently. Actually, I talked about it a lot on the most recent podcast that we did um, on the Covenant cast, where it's like there's this, and we see it in even in these recent card games like Nostalgics and uh, MetaZoo and these kinds of games. Like, there's this idea that you can do something that has been become like efficient and obvious, and you can kind of go back to the kind of primordial stage before it all was refined and there's a certain kind of romance to that it's like i compare it to like cooking a cast iron skillet versus like using a non-stick right like the non-stick is obviously where science has led us but there's still some some kind of romance to like taking care of the skillet and making it non-stick over time even though it is certainly less ideal um but in response to like games i guess i kind of have that that attitude that philosophy um i tend to be interested in things that are going to uh, surprise people um, or, you know, like subvert expectations. I use that term a lot. Um, and just things I like to play. And as it turns out, I think a lot of the things that I tend to like to play um, are just more clever than effective um, because I like clever things. Um, so it's kind of a Rue Goldberg machine happening there. But when I first played Azalea and and felt the the thematic nature of the arsenal cards, you know, flowing in and out. My my initial conception wasn't, why would I ever do this? Because I lose one of the most critical components of the entire game of Flesh and Blood and that I can't tuck a card in arsenal for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't think that, even though that's the case, right? Like, it's fundamentally a bit of a problem that you don't get to have that advantage. Um, and it causes all sorts of issues, but it feels so nice. Uh, just the cleanliness of just shooting those arrows through. You feel that pullback motion into Arsenal and the forward motion of the arrow leaving. Um, and I guess I just kind of like archery too. I, I guess I didn't realize that until about this year that like everything that I like to play also a lot of times has bows. Um, I like Hawkeye as well, but it's the same thing too. It's like maybe archers are just always more clever than effective. Like Hawkeye's not good, right? In Marvel, he's just shooting arrows. I mean like, that's got to be the lowest bar for superpower. Like, there's people who are literal gods, and this guy's just shooting arrows. So maybe that's it. It's that combination of of playing things that are, are clever and, like, that feel fun to play. And then it just so happens that a lot of times that is archer-slash-bow-centric uh, characters. So, yes, throughout my entire gaming life, 
that has been my MO, I would say. Interesting. I wonder when you'll become a Kano player because Kano is just, uh, it's a, it's like a beautiful song, right? A no, great... but it's not. It's a, it, it, it's it like a, it's a monologue. It's a solo. It's like, there's no dance, you know, there, there's the, uh, it's kind of like, it's kind of, it's too sudden, right? It's not a, there's not this kind of unraveling of advantage over time that I really get into. Um, it's like, I block for a while and I, I look for the opening and then I see if I can crack the boots and make it happen. And sometimes I can. Sometimes one, I can't. One day you'll realize there's a lot more. There's a lot more to Kano, I think, I mean, than that. I mean, I'm, but it is, I'm a bit, just, it is a bit one-sided. I will give you that. I, <laughs> I'm just coming from like, so I've always been driven by the limited formats because usually, and, and we can go deep with this too, like, Go deep. Whenever you whenever you strip off the uh, you know essentially the added complexity of human input, and you just look at the raw fundamental system at its core, the system of flesh and blood is completely uh, breathtaking in in the way that the interplay between two players is happening, with such fundamental and similar math is creating such wildly dynamic turns, is like incredibly good. And this is the case with most games. Like, if you're playing them in their kind of most fundamental state, without all the cleverness of humans packing combos together and figuring out where the designers missed the one that should have been the two and those kinds of things, um, the ga games are so good to me at that stage. And I tend to like, I tend to like the more simplified, more fundamental things in my life as well. Um, it's funny, Brendan. I know you you spent some time overseas. Um, we've talked about this a little bit, but like when I was in college and I was studying philosophy and, and Eastern philosophy specifically, um, you know, I was looking at Buddhism and Taoism and Hinduism through the sacred texts as they were, not through like thousands of years of you know like dogmatic tradition formed by humans. Uh, and I I thought that it was such a more pure experience of any particular religion and I compared it to if somebody who was never familiar with Christianity which I grew up with would just look at the Bible and look at the New Testament and draw their own conclusions without the thousands of years of like human interpretation and in a lot of ways as crazy of a logical leap that this is that's what I feel like limited ultimately is it's like looking at this fundamental truth of the game before it kind of has all the human stuff put on it um, so Kano does not play fundamental flesh and blood, period. Not at all. And so, no, I don't want it's a, that. It's a different tune, right, though? And that's what's beautiful about it is that <laughs> there's only, there's a, like Kano plays a style that's just not represented in any other hero. And I think that yeah. kind of mastering that style is, it's like playing a new game, right? It's like seeing the dark side of the moon okay. in a way. I think you would like it, but I, I did I catch a little. I did catch a little nugget in what you said because I think I heard this in a stream earlier. Did, did you also you like translated like ancient Greek back in um, college or something? Yeah, I did. I did ancient Greek. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I did Latin <laughs> as well. So did you do it just because like you wanted to get back to the uh, like I don't know the root of those texts or what? What was the idea behind that? Is it similar I mean, to I, what you're saying? Get to getting yeah, to the yeah. core. It actually is. Um devastatingly relevant to everything that we've been talking about because it was one part 
wanting to get back to um, like being able to get at the fundamental truth of the translation absent what other people have thought it was. But then secondarily, it was also because um, I needed to take a foreign language and I could have taken a useful one and I decided to take an interesting one. Uh, and that tracks for my flesh and blood journey as well. Uh, Azalea is interesting, but not useful, <laughs> ultimately. Uh, you know, so that kind of puts me on the map way too obviously. Uh, but I guess that's just that's just how I rolled out. <laughs> I really enjoyed your explanation, though, Stephen. I think that's one of the most beautiful explanations I've had for why someone plays Azalea, and probably and, and the best, to be honest. <laughs> and you know what? When you said that, you actually gave me words to put into uh, how. I, so I played Azalea for like two, nearly three months straight. Just just played Azalea mm-hmm. at the, the back end of like uh, Crystal of War, and I, I enjoyed my time. I probably wouldn't go back, but I enjoyed my time. And yeah, I felt yeah. really clever when I won games a lot of the time. Like I would get, yeah. I would, you know, the the early, the mid, the end game felt like at every single point I was crafting the game state and interacting with my opponent to do so. I felt really clever when I got to the end. And I think some of the words that you just use in the description of like how, you know, how you feel when you play the game and, and that, you know, come back to these core cool fundamentals and even just from like the the pulling back the, the bowstring to releasing the arrow, like... I can get on board with that. I, I like that uh, description and that that uh, sort of a recount of why you you know why you play decks like Azalea or why you gravitate to certain things in, in Flesh and Blood. And I think you know personally, not for me, but like that that two or three months, like I definitely got an insight to that, and in some parts were to it. And I think that's why when I think about heroes now, sometimes I'm like, you know, I want I want the best deck, but I want my best deck to be interesting, and I want it to be enjoyable to play, and I want to have some, uh, I want to feel clever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and. You know, another piece of that is really, I, I don't know if you guys have seen that um, Jiro Dreams of Sushi uh, documentary. Of, oh, like, you know, like the so good. Sushi master, you know, like like yes. lifelong dream. It's just like essentially gets finally gets down to, you know, the fundamentals. You have to have the best possible rice. And you you got to break it down, you know, to that simple of a, of a execution. Um, but it's also, you know, playing those kinds of heroes, there, there's a drive to be so good, to be like so perfect in your approach to the game and your play of the game, that you can take something that is, uh, you know, under the curve as we were, and still beat everybody else with it, because you have spent so much time honing yourself as a player, and so the challenge of that and the exhilaration of feeling like you can do something like that in a game. It's also extremely uh, appealing. That is exactly how I feel playing Kano. But speaking of <laughs> you beautiful, say Netflix do- beautiful Netflix documentaries, um, there's another one called Som, S-O-M-M. And it follows a group of guys. Sommeliers. Yeah, attempting to become master sommeliers. And it goes through the process of studying and the tests. And it's one of the most incredible documentaries I've ever seen. And it, it, it kind of, you know, it definitely does point back Similarly to Jiro Dreams of Sushi, I think that's the name of it. But in terms mm-hmm. of like the discipline it takes and just like just beating on your craft for the sake of doing it to try to achieve the impossible. I love that. Um, yeah. Definitely a complete sidetrack from Flesh and Blood, but things like that just really inspire me. Like truly disciplined people that just grind to achieve something impossible. I love that. I mean, we well, can... that's why you need to play Azalea. <laughs> That's for Kano. Yeah, you got. It's funny because you both have like you both have very similar reasons for doing it. It's just very different approaches and very different things that you enjoy in the process. Your process is very different, right? 
but it sounds like a lot of your end goals, your that, reasons for driving reasons are actually very similar. That kind of sums up our relationship. I feel like me and Steven are extremely different people, but ultimately the same person. Well, yeah, way. and honestly, that tracks really well with what Zach and I have been noticing in that we're pretty certain that you guys are just trying to look like us over time. Because <laughs> now you've got Brendan on the blonde hair. We've got Hayden on the dark hair. I, I have a suspicion that Hayden is growing the hair out as we speak so that he could pull off the Zach look. You can't so, see the mullet. I'm, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip the script on you and get a little, maybe so we're going to go, I'm growing the hair out and Hayden's balding a little bit. So, oh, right. So we have kind of like a, it's kind of there, but it's also a bit of a cross uh, <laughs> pollination. So you're the, you're the blonde, long haired host. We'll be that. Uh, and Hayden is the uh, dark haired and, uh, you know, slightly balding uh, host. Brendan's going to yeah. find himself as a solo host very soon, I think. At least a generous word. Let's be No, I'm kidding. I love you, Steven. Um, so I want to talk about, we talked about romance, we talked about casual play, what we enjoy doing, but let's talk about your performance, Steven. Mm. The calling Dallas mm-hmm. 2020. So Mr. Steven Woolley walks it, he flies into Dallas gets his coffee, walks into the convention center, boom, undefeated day one. Sealed is Steven's game. What are you thinking, Steve, when you go undefeated? You're on camera. I saw your little Instagram interview. Are you thinking I can win this? Yeah. I'm the champ? Look at yeah. Steven's mind. Man, you know, I'll, I'll be totally honest with you. Like, um, I've been playing uh, competitive games for a long time, uh, you know, dipped in and out of actually competing. Um, but an event that big, I've never, I've never done anything uh, as good as that. Like I've done some top thirty twos and top sixteens in Netrunner. I've won some regionals and you know some some fifty plus people events. But um, I, I was just, I was very surprised, honestly, that that was happening. Uh, and then yeah, I started thinking like, I think I can absolutely win this as long as we don't have to draft. <laughs> if, if we don't have to draft at the Calling Dallas, I feel like I can cruise right to the top. Uh, but I have known that my drafting uh, thought process, and maybe it's the cleverness getting in the way, is bad. Like, I'm not good at drafting cards. I never have been. Uh, so I was I was worried going in, and of course that bore uh, much fruit for me. Yeah, did, uh... I was right. It was a bummer. I wanted to see you in that top eight, and we were so close. But so close, man! I even drafted that winner's whale. But then I play Tarek on Earth, old him as my first matchup, and it's like, well, come on, this is—I should be playing against Briar like everybody else. And then it's easy mode for me, easy. And he's rolling in. I've got all these ice attacks. He's, you know, glacial footsteps, or winner's whale, and all this stuff. And you know he's got the he's got the defense reactions and the earth stuff, and he's constantly pitting. It's like I can't win the fatigue match. I can't out dominate him. So I figured it was done. You uh, you had uh, the the game that you drew was that your winning in? If you had won that, would you have been in a top eight? I can't remember. I that feel was, like it was. That was so annoying. <laughs> I feel like that was your. Um, I think that was your winning in game, right? Like that was your. Yeah. So it, I I won the one that followed, and I and I think I was like eleventh or sixteenth or something. I don't remember what it was, but I think I needed to win that one and then the next one as well. Mm. Yeah. Uh, to like to steal it for sure, but I think I was like close, even having lost that one and then winning the last one. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, but that 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 was that was unfortunate. I I would like to know if I mean, do you guys think there's a solution on the draw side of this? Because essentially, what happens is opponent is out of deck, has no way to beat me. I'm on uh, old him, have plenty of cards left, can swing the hammer to till morning. Um, he's at like three health. I'm at like seven. Uh, and he, you know, it's like, okay, time is called. It's my turn. I send a big like seven to 10 damage attack. And it's like, you know, maybe there's that gentlemanly, uh, gentlemanly spirit where it's like, okay, you know, like I know I can't win. So we may as well send somebody to the, to the podium as it were. Uh, and you know, blocks and then swings back for two or something. And then that's the end of the game. We draw no cards left in deck. And so what's funny is the judge is there, right? It's just a judge watching. And so the, the, my opponent's turn ends great, great opponent. Otherwise I should have forced faster play. I, I can accept that, but judge is there. And then it's like, all right, given that there is no clear winner at this stage of the game, it is a draw, you know, like, like that official judge gavel comes down. And yeah. I was like, can I, can I, can I actually prove to you that there is a winner of this game? Is that even legal? And then he was like, don't even joke about that or you'll be disqualified from the event. So it's, like, well, it's like a super sensitive topic in Flushing. It's like, I get it. Like, you know, yeah. you, you can't, it's got to be very structured rules. But I was in a situation in a game where like I knew that I actually very much, not even theoretically won, but was the winning player in that game 100% uh, and didn't get the win. So every time you do withdrawal rules, it's going to create different situations for how the game functions and like, it's going to create bad feels and good feels. Um, I was curious what you guys thought about the current state of draws in the game. So I'll go first. So I yeah. played. I was. I played um, the calling in 2019, and the calling constructed Auckland in 2020. So back then, you could concede, and you there was turns. So I think there was was there five additional turns, Hayden, or was mm -hmm. it three? Yeah, there was yeah. five additional turns. Um, and you could also negotiate for concessions. No, you couldn't. Mm -hmm. No, oh, you, could. you couldn't. So you could concede. You definitely you could couldn't negotiate. <laughs> you couldn't negotiate. No, not like negotiate, but people would ask you to concede. And you stuff. could ask for a concession. If... Yeah, you could ask for Exactly. Concession. That's what I mean. Not negotiate, but you can, because now you definitely can't ask. Mm -hmm. um, and it would lead to very, very long timers after rounds sometimes. Like the rounds would go extremely long. So we reduced that to like, you know, active player turn zero, one additional turn, time the round. Um, and then, the, like, the idea behind, like, the core ethos is that you're not supposed to win a game of flesh and blood outside of playing the game. So, like, any sort of politics yeah. or any of this should be all, all gone. And it does come with, like, a little bit of baggage where it leads to some really poopy scenarios. But I think on the aggregate, it probably leads to a better game. Um, yeah. And I think that as you play more and you play more in like a competitive level you become more conscientious and more comfortable kind of managing the time of the game because um, that's like the biggest trap initially right or maybe your deck is just really slow and then part of your strategy is going to be you know kind of encouraging your your opponent to play at a reasonable pace and that's just that that's part of your deck right that's literally that's as important as all the cards you have in your deck is you know not not allowing games to go needlessly long and go to time. I'm happy with the rules overall. I don't like drawing. I hate drawing. 
Um, and sometimes it isn't really bad scenarios, but ultimately the the overall impact on the game I think is is really good. There there is a funny there's a funny group not a group but there's a funny subset of players that really loves drawing. <laughs> I always I remember sometimes I draw really? people would be super not not because they like the double loss but they just get super pumped that it was like a really close game. You know, oh, right. like, oh, I was just I only had one card left, and you're like, yeah, I only had yeah. thirty cards left, and yeah, it's just it's a funny thing. Obviously, it's more with newer players, but yeah, overall, I think it's a positive. Uh, it's a positive thing on the game. I dig that. I, I, what about you, Hayden? Yeah, I mean, the, the game is to be played, right? That's kind of my end thing, and this is one of the things that this happened in the very first coin that I paid is that we we had a draw situation in one round, um, and. Uh, I didn't concede to my opponent. It wasn't clear to me that my opponent had the game locked up. They were pretty certain they had. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't clear on that. And then afterwards, James White actually said to me, "He's like, I definitely wouldn't concede in that situation. You play the game to win the game." Um, but there's there's certain things where I think where there's like a five percent. Like I agree with the things Brendan said about in terms of like it, the the new rules structure in terms of like no concessions after the game started and play the game to win. Um, and a draw is isn't a draw. It's a double loss, right? Um, it's not worth points. The 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 five percent that I think is a bit of an outlier is exactly what happened to you, Stephen. Right, where the maybe maybe your opponent wasn't playing as fast as possible. Maybe you weren't, and there were things that could happen. But leave that aside. There's a clear end to the game there, right? Where there's a clear there's no cards left in your opponent's deck. Uh, there's you know to them sitting there, there's no feasible way that they can win the game knowing the cards they have in hand. If you know, I don't know the life total situation, but just just guessing here. Then in that situation, that's like the, the maybe even less than 5% of games where this happens. That's a bit of a, like it feels bad, I think. And I think in that situation, it really comes down to the the players to make the decision. So maybe if your opponent's sitting there and they think that a draw can get them into, you know, draw and a win can get them to top 32 in cash, then they have incentives to not concede that game, right? Because maybe they felt like, well, you know, if, if Steven had played faster, then he would have won the game, but he didn't. And this is where we are now. There's so many things that could be going through their mind, right? But at the same time, there's also this piece of, well, you know, if I draw this, this is if I lose this, because it's not a draw, it's a double loss, I cannot make top eight. And if top eight is my goal and I don't care about anything else, well, I have an opponent sitting across from me who, you know, I, I genuinely think played the game very well and, you know, I, I maybe I like as well. Uh, I, I'm going to declare no blocks on your attack. And th- there's like this real balancing act, I think, is it's, it's all comes down to like human, like the human interaction at that point, unfortunately. And I think that it's going to depend on like player by player. And I think the fact that luckily it's only going to be very small cases that this happens, like the one the example you gave, Stephen, I think is a good thing for the game. But there is going to be some feels bads because of it. But I would just encourage people to like probably take a step back and think about all the things that happened before that. It sounds like you've already done that, Stephen, but other people might find situations where they think that they deserve to win, but maybe there's other factors that came into it. Um, you know, I'm not pointing fingers, but... <laughs> yeah, I think the idea that, you know, players really owning that responsibility to manage the clock and understand that that's a a part of the game. I think especially coming from other games where it's not quite as uh, devastating to have a draw like it is in in Fab. Um, There's just a learning curve to like understanding that that's a a thing you need to be aware of and that you need to be managing on top of just your play-by-play. So yeah, it's a good point. And I think you're right, Brendan. There's no clean way to to do it differently to make make it obviously better. so in those cases, it's like, yeah, that's pretty clean idea that it's just pretty pretty cut and dry. Like when this happens, here's how it works. No subjective assessment required whatsoever because if you start getting judges involved in making those calls, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, have, uh, I have one criticism of the system currently, which is like you can concede if there's no way that you can win the game. 
I don't really understand how that rule is written or understood, but it sounds subjective, right? Like, obviously, there is objective scenarios where you can't win the game and the game is ending and yada, yada, yada. But, like, how far does that stretch into, like, you know, to where it's like, I don't think I can win the game? Because it, it seems like it's sort of subjective and it implies that maybe you can concede at any point if, like, you want to, because you say, I just can't win the game. But, like, the current way that it's kind of ruled or the way it works is like you just can't do that and that's what i understood from playing these callings like you just really can't concede unless like it's so literally obvious that you can't win the game so i feel like it, it sounds subjective but then like the way it's like judged and taken is totally literal which is weird i think there's a bit of a disconnect right there in the rules i don't know if you guys agree yeah, that, that one that's needs to be there fair. i think that one has to be there because you can have a situation where uh, say uh, my opponent knows I, I have four cards left in my deck. I'm playing Brute. I've got six, uh, sorry, three six attacks and a reckless swing, and there are one. My opponent could just, you know, but maybe I, I have no way to push damage. My opponent doesn't attack for the rest of the game. I, I don't attack. You can get these standstill parts, and it's like, okay, well, what's going to happen? Like, does one player need to concede? Um, you know, like, is there a part here? It could be a, I have one card left in my deck, right? It's a yellow card, and I can attack with a club. My opponent has, I don't know, a tunic resource and a, a, a steel blade shunt. Like, that's the last card left in the deck. Like, there are situations where it's like, you know, I could just do nothing. But then, like, who's the winner here? There's no clear winner. <laughs> like, it's... Yeah, my, my qualm is, like, the interesting part is where objective meets subjective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I agree. how far you can push the line of subjective. So, like, that's just where it's unclear. And, like, I would prefer, my opinion, I think that what it should be is that you can concede if you think, if you think, not the judge thinks, not if your opponent thinks. If, it, if you think that you can't win the game, you concede, which just means you can concede what you want to, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, that, that seems fine, right? Nobody nobody can ask you to do it. Like, there's there's none of that stuff. But um, this current thing where I've seen people that, like, they actually can't win the game, but it doesn't look like that to the judge who doesn't really play. And, like, right. what's on the line is getting DQ'd from the tournament. They can't, like, so it's a weird place, and I hope that it's, you know, at this point um, a bit... Uh, they like kind of flush it out a bit. But anyway, Steven, I know you're short on time. Um, so before I gotta go get my of, pump on, gotta get your pump on orange theory. Oh God, I have some funny stories about orange theory. Um, I can't but, wait to hear those stories. Oh, I would goodness. love to hear that. We could crack into those next time. Why don't you go ahead and, um, shout out all your socials, all your stuff, plug team covenant. You got any cool stuff coming up, um, soon? Yeah, great. Um, so we're we're running a Fab Foundations um, video series. We've got the second one coming out. It should be this week. I'm proofing that currently. And then we've got like four to five more in the tank. And then we've got plans for, for more than that. So we're trying to make kind of a, a comprehensive video series that's going to take players from starting the game, understanding the rules, and then all the way between that and kind of mastery of the game. So some of those fundamental concepts are going to be broken down uh, by ProQuest champion Zach Bunn and me. And then um, we've got some majestic tokens that we we really dig for just clarifying board states in the game, something we do with most of the games that we support, just so we can offer some value to players to, to kind of help some of the more fiddly parts of a game. And you can find those on our website. And then we've also, my favorite thing that we're doing right now is we've got a Discord league that goes every Tuesday night on our Discord server. Um, it's like 20 bucks a month to be a part of it. You can find that on our website as well. You can just hop in the Discord and ask about it. Um, and it's just every Tuesday night at eight o'clock central, hundred plus people come onto the discord, get paired up at tables, virtual tables, play over webcam, uh, win some promos, uh, nothing tied to winning and losing. It's just participation only. 
And it's a fantastic microcosm of uh, kind of this game and just incredible people playing. So um, anybody who's interested in that, you should absolutely do it, uh, regardless of your skill level. It's a great place for everybody to be. Awesome. Well, Steven, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's always a absolute joy to talk with you. Um, and I hope to I hope to see you soon again, whether that's 2022 events or maybe I'll sneak up to Tulsa or hopefully you come back down to Dallas because we still, we've got business and- to do down here. Me too. And I, <laughs> I, I appreciate you guys having me on and, and just um, doing the work that you're doing. You know, we've we've been in the in the grind for so long on the content and you guys are putting out a lot of content. It takes a lot of time um, and it's very much appreciated by everybody, I think, in Flesh and Blood. Uh, and then, you know, me, of course, specifically, because I watch a great many of your videos and I appreciate that. And it's always nice to come home from work and put on whatever you guys are up to. So. Thank you for being a part of it. Well, thanks, Steven. Thanks again. So that'll be active player turn zero, one additional turn. That's time. I'm around. around.